0: I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi Brandy, welcome to the Resource Room Podcast. Hi there. I am so excited to talk to you today. Um even before we press record, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she's going to be a great guest full of so much information. So, could you kind of just tell listeners Who you are and what you do in education.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I am, I've been in education for almost 30 years. um, And I have kind of done, you know, a lot of everything, but primarily all of my. Time has been in special education around um, behavior. That that's kind of my my thing that I love. Um, I started out teaching kids with emotional behavioral disorders. I've taught kids with autism for a lot of years. Um, I have I started a behavior program in a district I worked in. I've done a lot of that, and then over the last fifteen years or so, I've. Um, i I've been an administrator and um overseeing IEP writing and all of that and also um, mentoring new teachers that's been a big part of what I've done and and kind of created our professional development department in our district as well so i love i love all things special ed I love all things behavior and classroom management that's where you know that's that's kind of my thing
0: which I absolutely love and I feel like you could be the greatest teacher and have the greatest ideas and be so organized. But if your classroom management is a hot mess, it, all of it is for nothing.
1: That's that's what I've been, you know, some of the teachers that I've been um, working with over the summer, I, I always joke about it because the first thing they ask is, um, what should I do for my theme or my bulletin boards? And I'm like, I, I get you, like we all wanted that to be the, we all want it. Still, I said 30 years later, I still wish that the thing that I could do over the summer is focus on my bulletin boards. Um, But that if you don't have your classroom management set up, especially when you, you know, if you have a challenging behavior in your classroom, first of all, those bulletin boards can come down just as quickly as you put them up. (laughs) And yeah, if you don't have that classroom, the classroom management planning is The time most well spent. That's how I feel. I think that your classroom runs, you can, the teaching will come later, the academics come later, but if you have that, you know, if you have your class running the way you want it to, you're ready to go.
0: Where do you suggest people start with that? So, one of the things that I think of when I think of classroom management would be class dojo or a clip chart or, you know, students earn pom poms or other things. Where do you recommend? teachers, whether it be gen ed or a resource room teacher, where do you recommend they start?
1: Well, I think there's, there's a bigger question around that. So I like to kind of, I, I like to look at big picture because all of those systems are one piece of classroom management. So those are, you know, really kind of a behavior piece of the classroom management. But when you're looking at classroom management really proactively and kind of holistically, there's all these other pieces that go into it. There's your um, procedures, your rules. There's, you know, your community building, your engagement. Like there's all these other pieces that go into that. And I like to. I think hands down, the first thing is going to be getting your procedures set up in your classroom. Because... If you know exactly what you want your students to do, and then you teach and practice that, then you work your um, behavior and your reinforcement system in with that. So let's say, you know, the first thing you're focusing on is how to get the teacher's attention appropriately, and that's, you know, a priority for you. Well, you're going to teach that skill, and then you're going to use your dojo points or your, you know, pom-poms or whatever you use to target that skill, and then you get a lot more bang for your buck. Um, So... I mean, I think really when I'm talking to teachers, what I my most important message is use what works for you and what's comfortable for you. And then also it has to work for your class. So it has to be both sides of it. So, you know... Sometimes teachers will say, "Well, I don't like to use tangible reinforcement. Like, I don't like to. They shouldn't need to earn anything." And I say, "Well, that's that's okay if your kids respond to that. But if you have students who actually do need it, then we need to adjust to what students need." Um, And I'll I'll throw it out there. I'm I'm an anti clip up and downer. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I think that. In most cases, the behaviors we, that we see are, are skill deficits. So, um, just like we wouldn't punish a student for not being able to read, we don't want to punish a student for not, you know, behaving. So, I, I'd say we focus on the positives. We focus on the new skills that we're teaching, and you'll start to see that generalize and really, you know, make your class run the way that you want it when you're focused on those.
0: I agree. And to be perfectly honest, my first few years of teaching, I'm embarrassed to say I had a clip chart, but that was the thing. Everybody had a clip chart. So I was just doing what I saw on Pinterest, what I saw other teachers doing. And I agree. I actually had a student with autism move into my classroom maybe mid year. The majority of what I did was only clipping up. We clipped up all freaking day, like all the time. It, so I felt like I used it in a positive way. But then that student moved in and that didn't work. You know, and and if he had to move down, he was done, 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 done for the day. And it was hard to sometimes find reasons to let him move up. I tried, but it was hard. And so for him, then we just stopped using the clip chart. What do you recommend then kind of with that student who that's just not really working? And, and maybe it's not the clip chart. I, I don't do that anymore. I think that's kind of fallen by the wayside now in most situations. What do you do for the kid who that just doesn't work? Whatever's happening in the gen ed room?
1: Well, um, so if you're, if you're really focusing your behavior system on skills, that, you know, students need to learn. And, and I look at those as mostly um, behavior programs are all wrapped into kind of those learning to learn skills. What skills do kids need to be successful? And if so if you're working your behavior system in with that, then a lot of times what I really like to do, so let's say you're working with, um, you're, the, the classroom is working on attending and what that looks like. And then you have little Johnny who's all over the place and he can't attend and whatever and you maybe are running a dollar or a, you know a money program and they're just earning money and they have a little wallet and whatever then you might be targeting johnny where other kids are getting a dollar at the end of the class period johnny might be getting a hundred dollars through that time period because you're really really reinforcing that at a super high a very high rate and so I, you know a lot of times that's that's what we have to do when we... I, I like to be able to, especially in general ed, adjust the system that's in place so that kids don't stand out as much as possible. And so we can use the system that's in place already, but they can get more of it or differently. So that's one piece of it. A lot of times, the other piece of a student that's really having a hard time is is really based on that skill deficit idea, that those kids just aren't there yet. They They haven't learned that skill. And we so we've seen a lot we've seen a lot more of this over the last few years where we have kids coming in who you know have been in virtual learning they haven't really had school and um you know they they have some challenges anyway well now they're just really big and so you know We're seeing a lot more of that with, say, attending with um, independent work time, with taking turns, social interactions, getting the teachers, all those things that they just didn't have a lot of practice with. Mm -hmm. And so my first go-to is to kind of target those skills that are interfering. And so one of the things that I have the teachers do when I work with them, when they have one of those kids, is I say, all right, let's sit down. I want you to write down on a piece of paper every single behavior you're seeing That's that you're struggling with with this particular student, and that's always a really funny exercise. They're like, really, everything? I'm like, everything, Everything. (laughs) Um, And so sometimes that's just a relief to do. Period. And then we prioritize, and so we kind of put them in order. Which one? Which one do you feel as the teacher makes it hardest to teach? So that may be something different than I think. You know, I've worked with you know, some teachers were the calling out, that's it. Like they just cannot take it. Other teachers, it doesn't bother them, they, but they can't stand that they're never in their seat. You know, like, so we're we're just really kind of identifying where those skills are that we need to work on. And then I work with teachers on just like, we're going to teach those just like we teach reading, you know? And so it takes a little bit more work. But what, I'm, what I find a lot of times is that there's one student who's really showing, wow, they're really having a hard time. But there's three, four, five, six other kids who really still need that support. They're maybe just getting by a little bit better. So it's time well spent to practice and teach and reinforce. And it only takes a couple minutes a day. You know, like I, I have I have my teachers do that where it's just you set aside five minutes. It's like, all right, today, remember, we're working on attending. Let's role play. Let's practice. Let's do all these fun things. And um, and then a lot of times it works. Not always, not always. And, you know, behavior doesn't turn around quickly. That's that's kind of the bummer of behavior is that it takes a long time for the behaviors to come and build up and it takes a long time for them to go away. So I'm always like, okay, I know it feels like this should happen really quick, but it doesn't. We need to We need to take time. And again, I like to compare it to reading like, Kids don't learn to read overnight, right? And so it's just the same thing with behavior.
0: You shared so much there. I don't even know where to begin. Girl, you, oh man. Okay, so first, I agree completely. It does not change overnight. It takes work. And sometimes what I feel like, I mean, myself included, sometimes when you're in the moment, you think oh my gosh, why can't they? Why aren't they? We've been working on this. And you do need that reminder that behavior does not happen overnight. You don't learn to read overnight. You don't learn long division overnight. It's a skill we have to teach too. So that's the first thing that I'm glad you said. So we have that reminder. I also love how you said you ask your classroom teachers to just get it all out. (laughs) That's something that we as resource room teachers could do because oftentimes I have classroom teachers who, you know, we share a student and they might come and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so is doing X, Y, and Z. Let him get it out. And then I like how you prioritize. And then I really think if you started chipping away at some of those things, even just one, I think classroom teachers would feel successful and and feel like, okay, we're getting somewhere. Even if it's not perfect. Totally. It would be a great place to start.
1: That's that's exactly right. And, and you know, I, I say to teachers a lot of times, I, I'll say, so how much time of the day do you, th- how much time during your day do you think you spend with, you know, Johnny dealing with his behavior? And they're like 60% of the day. Okay. So if this changes it. So you're only spending 50% of the day. It's not everything, but it's, you just got 10% more back. Right. And so it's not, you know, I can't give you everything, but what, maybe you have 45 more minutes to teach than you used to. That's pretty good. And so that's exactly how I feel about that too. Just, you know, we're just going to keep building on that and building on that. Um, you know, I just always, I always want them to know, you know, I, I, I wish that I could, I had a perfect answer and I wish that Monday morning it was all going to be better, but it's just not, you know, I I just need to make sure that you understand that. But the prioritizing is really important too. And, and I think it's really important to ask the teacher what the priority is, not like what you think is. Because sometimes it's like, I'll be like, really? That's the thing Mm -hmm. that's driving you? Really? All right. Well, let's work on that, you know, but because everybody, you know, it's your class, everybody's different.
0: Well, even I've had classroom teachers that, you know, I might push in and it's noisy or it's loud. And for me, that kind of ups my anxiety a little bit. I need things to be a little more calm and quiet, but they're good with that. They're fine with that. And that's fine. It's, it's their classroom, but somebody else like you it's said being out of your seat might be a problem. You know, it, it's different for everybody. So starting with where they are is perfect. Now, you talked about spending a few minutes on teaching that skill. Even like you used the word attending. That might be something that's new to kids and teachers. Where do people start with finding some of those resources and finding the the activities to do?
1: Well, um... The activities are, you know, funny. It's it's a lot easier than um, I think people, and sometimes some of the curriculum makes it out to be, because I think you can teach those skills within pretty much anything you do. The trick is, so I, I have a program called Bite Size Behavior, and it breaks down um, managing behavior into really five steps. And so all behavior kind of fits into that process. So just, you know, real quick, it's like the first thing is we look at when, and we look at like, when is the behavior mostly happening? Then we look at, so first we, first we look at what the behavior is that's disrupting. And that's usually pretty easy. And then we look at when, and you know, what's going on during that time. And then we want to find out why the behavior is happening. And then comes the next two parts, which sometimes we forget about is what do we want that student to do instead? And that's where the teaching comes in. And then the last one is how are we going to teach it? So we kind of have to move through those first couple steps before we get to that. Um, But the important piece is a lot of times with behavior, we tend to try and teach the not behavior, right? So Ah. we, we want them not to call out, okay? And so we try and teach that, but that's I I, I I like you know that's like emptiness. We're teaching nothing, right? So we we want them not to do something, um, and so instead we need to go to that next step, which is what do we want them to do instead? And that's like the you know to me that's like the aha moment is like what do we want them to do instead? Okay, so instead of calling out, we want them to raise their hand. So what are the steps for raising your hand? Everybody's is different in the classroom, right? Like I might what I we all have different things. So somebody might say, you look to the teacher, you raise your hand, you keep your mouth quiet till you're called on, whatever, whatever your system is. And then you teach and you practice that. So sometimes there's really fun games to play. Like, you know, we can play, um, I was just working with a classroom at the end of the year where that was one of the skills they were working on. And we were just playing 20 questions but they had to get my attention the right way that I've taught. And so, you know, we have a poster up, we're, we're going through the steps, and then they're reinforced for that, like, wow, look at the way that you raised your hand just the way we practice. So that's really fun to do, just games around that. Um, and then it's also really fun to role play. And so, like, I'll have I'll have one of the students come up and, like, whisper, do it the wrong way. And so they'll be, like, super silly, you know, and they'll, like, you know, Raise their hand and fall out of their chair, call out, you know, and, the te- and then we do like thumbs up, thumbs down. Is that the right way, or the wrong way? You know, any of that is really the practicing and then making sure that you're reinforcing for that skill. Not the not skill, but the skill that you want to see. So lots and lots of fun ways to teach all of those skills, but really easy. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be super complicated. And I think that a lot of times when um people bring in behavioral programs or bring in behavioral recommendations they're very complicated and so then gen ed teachers especially feel like I'm not trained for this like I this is not what I know um, and special ed teachers too I mean a lot of us and so I think that it's unnecessarily complicated we we've made it more complicated than it has to be so, I think really just targeting that skill and then having some fun with it. You know, that's that's the whole idea. If the kids are bought into it, then they'll, they'll, the changes will come faster.
0: I think that's true of education in so many ways. We make everything harder than it has to be.
1: Totally. I totally agree with you.
0: So really, I love the ideas that you have of ways that they can practice that in a game. At playing 20 questions for three minutes, everybody's going to enjoy that. Is that something that you recommend for everybody or should me as a resource room teacher or our behavior support teacher be doing things like that in a small group? Where do you see that playing a role?
1: Yeah. I think that, um, I personally, I'm super passionate about this and I personally believe this should be done everywhere all the time. And especially in the first couple weeks of school, maybe the first couple months of school, I think this is time so well spent. Um, You know, I think that if we are when we're creating our classroom management system, um, I I, I like to remind people that we want to set up a system that works for your toughest student, not for the majority of kids. And that's backwards from what we we kind of think about. But um, the reality is, the majority of kids, even without a classroom management system, would be fine. I mean, that is the reality. But guess what? Those are not the kids that that take our time because they're already going to do what you need them to do. So I, you know, when teachers will say, well, I have this in place and it works for most of the kids. I'm like, that's great. But if it's not working for those three kids that are really your toughest kids, then it's not serving the purpose. So if we create a system that works for our toughest kid, then we know it's going to work for all of our kids. So that's the way to keep coming back to that to kind of remind yourself.
0: If this were church, I would be like yelling amen right now. (laughs) Like that, seriously, because it's like, oh my gosh. But you're right. We have it all backwards all the time. How do we get, you know, because like I said, we oftentimes as resource room teachers find ourselves with the kid that the teacher is frustrated with. They want help. How do we get them to see that mindset? What do you do? What do you tell teachers as you're kind of consulting with them?
1: Um, you know, I've been working on this for quite a few years because it is challenging, especially coming from special ed. There is the, there is the feeling, I think, deep in my heart all the time that I want to say, come on. Like, come on, I mean, Like, are we really getting worked up over this? You know, but then I always come back and I have to, you know, talk to myself again and remind myself that they're dealing with a whole different set of challenges. And so like I, it would be really hard for me to be a gen ed teacher because I, there's a lot going on that I don't really like to do. And so many of the teachers that I've talked to, I, I would say 100% of the teachers have said to me. It's not that I don't want to do this. Well, one hundred percent, there are some, but (laughs) most I don't. It's that I I didn't get any training. Like I don't have any idea where to begin, Um, and so because of that, I think that the way that we can be effective in you know being specialists and consulting and support in, in gen ed is to remember that to remember they're not special ed teachers, and to start really small with something that gets a pretty good result. And so if we can help them tweak just a little bit, then they feel successful because I'm telling you a lot of what I see is more about them feeling inadequate than unwilling. And so, um, like for example, I worked with a a kindergarten teacher this last year and she had a student who was really all over the place. He was, you know, he was busy and she, um, had kind of been dabbling with some behavior stuff, but it just wasn't working. And she was at her wit's end. And so all I did, and there was a million things I would have suggested if it were, you know, my classroom. But all I did was I went in and I tweaked it and I had her really, really focus on just a calm body. So then she already was using pom-poms. I said, just keep using what you're using. Um, Up how often you're giving them to him. And only focus on the calm body. And we defined it, and we practiced it with him, and we did all of that. And he, she, she just got less frustrated because she wasn't trying to focus on everything that he was doing. She just wanted him, he was calm, so he wasn't bugging his friends, and he wasn't falling all over the place. And that was enough for her to start to feel like she could handle it. And then we were able to move through. And she said, like, I, I'm thrilled like that. I'm thrilled. So I think just starting with those things where where they feel like they can be successful.
0: Absolutely. And we need that reminder, too, that it's OK to focus on one thing to mm-hmm. help them accomplish one thing. Mm-hmm. How often do you check in with teachers or maybe it varies by the student or by the situation? But what does that look like? Because everybody has their plate full. The gen ed teacher doesn't have time to send you an email all the time. You don't have time to walk down all the time. What do you recommend for kind of managing the check-in? How you doing? What do you need from me Peace.
1: So a couple of fun ideas that um, I've done and some teachers I've worked with have done. One one teacher I worked with, I thought this, a special ed teacher, it was great. She had, um, like she had an early, well, the whole elementary had early release on one day. And so um, one day a month, she did office hours. And basically she was in her classroom and the, any of her teachers could come in and just chat with her during that. And so that was super cool and fun as opposed to, Because it's hard when you, when you know, as a resource teacher, as a specialist, you might have eight, nine, 12 different teachers where you have students in the class and they're all coming to you at different times. And that's unmanageable because you have to teach your own class as well. Um, Another thing I, I really like to do is I like to schedule out my Well, I'm a big believer in scheduling across the board in special ed. So at the beginning of the school year, I schedule out all my IEPs. I schedule out when, you know, assessment plans need to go home. I schedule out um, a data collection day every month. And I've st- I always stick to that because that's really important. So on, I'm, you know, what I do is the, the first Tuesday of every month, I collect data on all the goals so that I have that ongoing. And then I also do a consult day where it's not, big be- and, it, and I'm not out of my classroom that whole time because that would be impossible, but I schedule that, I plan for that day to be more independent work. Maybe it's, you know, special activity where they're doing something where they can do it more independently, even a movie day, things like that, where I can kind of get a little bit of freedom, but I schedule it in every, you know, through, it depends on the the school and either that's once a week or once a month, um, so that I have a little bit of time where I can run out, where I can check in. Now, you know, sometimes there's an escalated student and it's more than that and you just have to put things on hold, but I do think as special educators, we have to be careful that we're not constantly saving the world, you know, in, in every classroom that needs somebody or else we never get to teach our kids, you know. So you have to be careful about that, too.
0: I like that idea. I'm kind of the same way. If it's not scheduled, it's not going to get done. It'll keep getting pushed back and pushed back. And, and then that's where you run into problems of Jenna teachers not feeling supported by us. Or, hey, I've got this student that's just so difficult and and you literally give me no help. You know, things like that. So having a plan, I like that. And that seems doable.
1: And another thing is the Google Forms are great. And so you can, you know, you can create a Google Form and you send it out to all your teachers with just like, you know, what questions do you have for me so that at least you can get that at the time that you have time to respond to it, you know? And so sometimes they're just quick answers like, hey, you know, this happened. Do you have a thought on this? Um, and sometimes they're bigger, but at least they're not calling you in the middle of your lessons or coming in or all of that because that that's too disruptive to your program as well.
0: That is the hard part because, you know, for me, the last several years I've served kindergarten through third grade. My prep is at the same time as second grade, which is fine for second grade. But what about the other three grade levels that I serve? So if they need something, they're coming during their prep, which is then when I have kids or they're calling or or things like that. And so it is hard to support everybody, to help everybody in the best way possible when you're serving so many grade levels.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's a limit to what it, you know, should and is, you know, expected of special ed teachers. I mean, your first priority is serving the students in your classroom. Um, and so that has to kind of be the priority. So, you know, it's a we know as special educators, it's a balancing act all the time. There's, you know, a hundred people that need us and only one of us.
0: Um, not to jump around, but I also loved earlier how you were talking about teaching the not behaviors. Or, you know, we we as teachers are always scolding them for the not behaviors, you know, don't do this, don't do that, we're not supposed to be, you know, how do we begin shifting that mindset for people as well to start teaching what we want?
1: I mean, it's a great question and it's, it's a really powerful conversation because um, I think that, you know, people end up very frustrated because what happens, the nature of behavior, Human behavior in general is if we take something away and we don't put something else in its place, then somebody's likely to put something worse in the place, right? Uh-huh, so, yeah. like, if we, you know, if we, um, you know, if a student's trying to get attention and they're calling out and we stop the calling out, but we don't teach them how to get attention the right way, they might start throwing their pencil. they're They're gonna still try and get that need met. And so I think that once people kind of understand that and they they see um, how much faster behavior changes when we teach the behavior, than when we teach the not behavior. And I think that transitions into writing IEPs and writing goals, and that's that's another, you know, a big passion of mine, is that um, really focusing our goal writing on the skill that we want to see as opposed to stopping the skill that we don't. So instead of writing a goal on, you know, no calling out, then we want to write a goal for raising their hand or getting the attention, you know, the appropriate way. Just kind of shift that whole thinking to, you know, what we want to see instead.
0: I even think, you know, about my own children at home. What do I say? Don't leave this. Don't leave that. Don't do, you know, we do it. And I I kind of want to blame it on human nature. Maybe I'm just negative. I don't know. (laughs) But, But I think, yeah, that's just what we do. And so that mindset shift alone could be what helps teachers Go, you know, just do things in a totally different way. And I agree writing your IEP goals in that way. Oftentimes we do, you know, the student will not need this redirection or, you know, will require no more than X number of redirections. We're, we're focusing on the not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I love for me, I think it's just, you know, maybe my concrete brain, but like, I like to, um, you know, really think about things in relation to I don't to academics, because I think that teachers' brains kind of go that way. And so, you know, it's the same thing as if so if a student is, you know, um saying a vowel sound wrong. We're not we're our teaching isn't about not doing that, right? We're not gonna say don't say it that way. Instead we're teaching them how to say that vowel sound correctly, right? Um and so we understand that from an academic standpoint but we forget it when we're dealing with behavior for some reason so it is just kind of shifting that always remi- always reminding ourselves i think you know we're going to stay with the same way of teaching the same way that that you know people learn across behavior or academics they're going to learn the same way yeah i love that and
0: i think it's an important reminder that we all need to hear over and over to to think about if it were an academic skill we wouldn't even be approaching it in the same way that we're approaching behavior. And that's right. a problem. That's why our kids' behaviors are so rough. Yeah, it's true. Yeah.
1: It's, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I, as I was kind of stalking you before we hit record, I discovered that you have a course for teachers. And I would love for you to tell listeners what the course is, how they find it, things like that, because I, I think I need the course to be honest, after reading what you cover. So could you tell listeners a little bit about that?
1: So I, I do, I have, I have, I'm um, kind of a learning hub is what I, what I like to think of it. It's called teaching, uh, teaching dot dot com. Sorry. And, um, and I have some different courses and some memberships on that site. And I also have a ton of free resources and blogs and and all kinds of other things. Um, and so I think the, one of the courses that we've been talking about is the Bite Size Behavior course. And that is, yeah, it's one of my favorite courses. Um, and it is a really um, practical and usable course professional development it's it 's got each each module has a video as as well as a workbook, and it really walks you through five pretty simple steps to set up a behavior program, no matter what kinds of kids you 're working with what age range a lot of what we 've talked about where I talked about you know identifying the when and the why and all of that um, and then um, it, it and then it gives you examples it gives you practice things it gives you all different things that really, by the end of it, and it doesn't take very long, you understand the system, and then you can apply that to whatever works for you. And so, you know, as we've been talking, you know, I, I don't believe there's like one way that's the right way. I think that, you know, we need to make sure that teachers understand that they can set up a system that works for them. Um, and so that's what this system is. It allows, it just gives them the structure, just like as teachers, we all love that kind of structure. Um but it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to revamp your entire classroom. It doesn't take a million hours of your time that you don't have to get prepared for it. So it really is practical and, and, and super, um, you know, you'll see change really quickly when you're using it.
0: Do you think it would be appropriate? Like, you know, I said, I think I need the course. Do you think it would be appropriate for me to take the course so that I kind of have that understanding to then help gen ed teachers in my role?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I created the cor- I created the course based on kind of my own process of setting up behavior systems in my classroom as a special ed teacher, um, and I, I have it's it's what I use when I um, consult and mentor uh, new gen ed teachers, and it's what I use when I do all of my new teacher training for special ed teachers. So it really is just a system to understand how to manage any behavior. so it's not like, oh, this is the system to work on this behavior or this behavior, because that's where we kind of get in the weeds when we're trying to do it that way. Um, but, you know, I, I think it would be a miracle of miracle if anybody that teaches a long time doesn't have at least one challenging behavior in their, you know, student with that, like uh, that, if you, if you're that person, congratulations. Um, but, <laughs> you're a unicorn (laughs) exactly you're a teacher unicorn and and somehow I don't know you got some lucky stars above you but um so yeah I think it's great for everybody
0: okay that's wonderful and I felt like it was extremely affordable too
1: yeah, I mean, I one of my one of my main focuses when I started creating courses again. I've been a teacher a long time, is um, that none of my courses are are expensive because I want teachers to be able to afford them. I don't want this to be something where you have to you know give up whatever a whole bunch to be able to afford it. And so um, the you know these I have this course and another IEP writing course and another um, IEP writing course and those are forty seven dollars for the whole thing. And so um, it's. Really affordable. And then, you know, I have two memberships that are also super affordable and there's, you know, payment plans with those because ultimately if if teachers can't afford it or if it feels like it's too much of a sacrifice, then they're not going to use it. And then why, you know, why put it out there if teachers can't use it?
0: And then we know how much they need it. And so that's what I think. You want you want to be compensated for your time, but you know how much teachers need this help, whether they be gen ed or special ed.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we're we're losing teachers at, at a rate that's higher than we would like. And um, a lot of that burnout comes from behavior. You know, that's a lot of teacher concerns. So if we can get in there and kind of support teachers in a way that, maybe they didn't get in their teacher training programs, then hopefully we can keep some of these, you know, great teachers in the classroom longer.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then even just our kids are changing. And so what worked 15 years ago or 20 years ago?
1: Or five it, years ago. It, yeah,
0: five years ago. It's just not the same. And so we've got to kind of think outside the box and and look at the basics.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, A lot of times teachers will say like, um, you know, why is it my job to do this? Or, you know, if parents did this and, and my response is always the same as, yeah, but that's what we got. Like we, you know, special educators, we've always understood, you know, we educate the kids that walk in the door um, and we don't have a lot of say past that. Um, and I think general ed is just starting to understand that a little bit more, um, and it's, it's hard for them. But the reality is, is that the kid that it doesn't matter what they're doing. Yes. We wish this, we wish they would put them to bed earlier or that they wouldn't do this or they wouldn't do that, but we don't have any control over that. So all we have control over is, you know, the six, seven, whatever hours that they're in our classroom.
0: And too, as you were talking about that, maybe gen ed teachers are feeling more overwhelmed because of the push for inclusion over the last decade, you know, now it's like, wow, they're not going to another room for a good chunk of the day. And I'm only stuck with them from this time, this time, that time. It really is a good chunk of the day that they have to manage that behavior.
1: And, you know, to be honest, what I've seen this last year, um, a- at least in the area I- I've been in, a lot of times the most, the biggest behavioral concerns in the last year or two has been have been really from not the special ed students,
0: mm, yeah.
1: you know, that it really is because those students have our support or they've had more intervention, but it's kids that have not had that level of intervention that are really challenging to them. And then that's even harder because they're like, wait, who's, who's here to help me with that? So I think that's even more reason why they need, you know, just a little bit of, a little bit of structure to know how to deal with those challenging behaviors.
0: Before we wrap up, can you tell listeners where they can find you on the internet and then what will they find when they get there?
1: Sure. Um, Like I said, uh, I have a learning hub um, at teachinguntangle.com. And that's really the best place to find everything. That's where all my courses are. That's where all my blogs are. Um, You can join my email list. I send out a newsletter every week with tons of information and and free resources and things like that. And then um, as far as um, on social media. I'm not, I'm not gigantically on social media. I had only so much time, um, but I am on Instagram at teaching, untang- at, at teaching untangled. And so that's, that's mostly where you can find me on the social media world. And then um, you can just, people reach out all the time, Brandy Rosen, Brandy Rosen Consulting um, at Gmail and, and just send me emails. And I'm always happy to chat and answer questions as you know, that come up as well.
0: That's wonderful. And I'll link all that in the show notes so that listeners can click wherever kind of works for them. Do they want Instagram? Do they want email? Those kinds of things. Um, because I think you're a wealth of information that teachers need. They need to go grab that course and just start diving in to all the who, what, when, where of behavior. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
1: thank you. I, I It's been really fun chatting. And um, I think that, you know, that 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 dive into behavior can be scary but you know kind of taking hold of some of that structure helps um even even teachers who feel like behavior isn't their thing and
0: some they may feel like it's not their thing because it's been overcomplicated because it's difficult because it's been stressful if we can focus on one thing we'll feel a little more successful when we're kicking butt at one thing you know
1: That's right. That's what we all want to feel,
0: right? Exactly. Exactly. You want to leave feeling successful, just like your kids want to leave feeling successful. And if we can get both people feeling like they're getting somewhere, that's perfect.
1: Yeah. Then we've done our job.
0: Yes. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Brandy. You are absolutely wonderful. And I'm so glad you agreed to be on the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. That was super fun. Happy to chat anytime.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you later.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information.